And welcome, everyone, to our Sunday edition of BAMS Radio. I am your host, Trudy Armand, and I will be with my two outstanding cohorts as we bring you BAMS Radio each and every Sunday. That is, of course, Thomas the Wizard Watts from the city of Mobile. He will be producing and giving us his takes analytically and his overall thoughts on the game. Uh, And, of course, we always enjoy uh, hearing from Thomas and also William Redfish Barger from 89 to 93, a 92 national champion and a guy that's still very, very close to the program. We always enjoy hearing his thoughts as well. An ugly win for Alabama, number 17 in a row over the Razorbacks. But, you know, it was a, you know, I thought a workmanlike performance in the first half. Alabama certainly got off to a slow start. And Cam Little, who uh, I guess, guys, it was probably the best matchup of place kickers we'll have in one damn game all year. Uh, but Cam Little with the rocket leg, he gave Arkansas a 6 nothing lead. Alabama uh, did not really even let Arkansas get to the red zone until the second half where they scored two straight touchdowns. And we'll get to why that happened. Uh, but Alabama got the passing game going by the end of the first quarter with a deep shot, 79 yards to Kobe Prentice. And then second quarter, they rolled. Uh, they were, you know, uh, really uh, controlling the game. It was 21 to six, then it was 24 to six. After using up, you know, almost half the quarter on a good drive that they didn't finish in the end zone, but certainly uh, a shout out to Will Riker, who is now the all-time SEC scoring champion. Now, hopefully, he will be the all-time NCAA champion before his Alabama career is up. But Alabama leading twenty-four to six until they basically. Uh, you know, screwed the pooch uh, halfway through the third quarter when Jalen Key, uh, who deserves the Dunce Award for the game, gets the uh, gets another inexplicable penalty that continued to drive where Arkansas was basically just running the ball. They were giving up. Uh, they couldn't move it against Alabama. Alabama was locked in, getting ready to blow them out and cover, in my opinion. But Jalen Key made a mental error, gave Arkansas life, and then we saw what happened. Alabama had to fight for their lives. Uh, luckily, uh, Jalen Milrow, after playing a two and a half really good games, uh, he played a very poor second half, three for 11, 23 yards, uh, but no turnovers, but certainly no touchdowns in the second half after accounting for three in the half, one, two passing, one rushing. He did have a very good last drive, running for a first down, nice throw to Nye Black where he took one right in the chops. And then, of course, Alabama ran the rest of the clock out, even though they got an inexplicable penalty of taking a knee and getting a uh, a false start. I've never seen that. I'll ask you two in a second if you have. But Alabama wins an ugly one, 24-21. And now, the third Saturday in October, the rematch with the Vomit Queers is coming up as the Vols are coming to town. As uh, Alabama's won 15 out of 16 but lost last year. And so we will see what happens uh, with uh, the Vols trying to win two in a row for the first time in a very, very long time. So. I'm going to go uh, to you, William. I know you played the game. You're an offensive lineman. You won a national championship. You're an all-SEC freshman. Have you ever seen a guy get a penalty taking an eight? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, okay. I thought and, about and, you and, yesterday when it happened. I thought, oh, my God. And, and, and to be honest with you, I didn't even see him jump off sides on the live play because I was too busy laughing at Bert and waving goodbye to Arkansas players uh, back there as the safety valve as there was, you know, in case there was a bobble snap, which is always a possibility with this offense. But, uh, 
the answer is no on Danny Lewis. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, yesterday was supposed to be one of those ones that was easy. Um, you know, and, and after just another slow start, they had a, you know, from a whole team perspective, they had a fantastic second quarter, um, you know, where we're getting the ball coming back out of halftime. And you just kind of, you know, you just kind of felt like, well, they're fixing to blow the lid off of this thing. Uh, I don't even think that Arkansas had been, you know, been in the red zone at this point yet. Um, you know, when they were on offense, Alabama defense is playing lights out. And it was almost like that. I can't remember now if Key's penalty took place or carry on Arnold's three second sack that they never uh, blew the whistle dead on happened first. But, you know, one of those two plays, whichever one happened first, and I can't remember, is, is really what kind of set this thing in motion for me. Um, it, it was just like, uh, you know, the, the defense just kind of lost interest. Uh, you know, the offense couldn't move the chains. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's very frustrating because you're sitting there watching a guy that could be one of the best you know, dual threat quarterbacks in the country, and he just doesn't have any interest in being a dual threat quarterback. Um, you know, they've run out of options at left tackle. Um, you know, I, I still think they should have gone in a different direction with that way back in spring practice, but they chose not to, and it's too late to change it now. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been kind of a tradition around here that the returning right tackle that's got some experience gets – slid over there and the young inexperienced guys play the you know the less difficult from a technical standpoint position um at right tackle but for whatever reason um you know they chose not to do that um i did enjoy seeing 77 getting his second start um you know i wish we had as much depth at left tackle as we do uh right guard and and uh and and the interior positions but there's just not another you know, there's no Kendall Randolph that can move from tight end to, to fix this thing. But, you know, for, for one thing that I would say, whichever one of those two's out there, whether it's 74 or 57, you know, man, just tackle the son of a bitch. Just grab him by the jersey, <laughs> yank him down on top of you. You know, I, I would much rather – I mean, we were taught that as an offensive lineman. You know, you, you get the holding call before you give – and it's different now because – you know, they could ear hole the quarterbacks back when I played. Um, but, you, you know, you just don't get the quarterback hit. You know, I'll take your 10-yard, um, you know, second and second. I mean, a first and 20 versus, you know, first and the quarterbacks laying out their DOA at the at midfield. Uh, but it's, it's just, to me, I, I really have my doubts that, you know, I, I think uh, – you know, Tennessee is probably the more balanced of their next two opponents. When I mean balanced, you know, they've got a good defense. Um, they're, they're, they've come up with a running game this year. They're not just slinging the ball all over the place. Uh, but I think both of these teams are going to be a challenge for, you know, our defense, you know, to, to not score points. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's the watermark now for our offense? We average about 24 points a game. Right. I just don't know if that's going to be good enough uh, to beat these next two people. Um, you know, I, it, it's just was frustrating Saturday because I was like, you know, just 
you know, come, I don't care if you score any points or not, but just come out of the gate, you know, no penalties, get the offense clicking. You know, if it's, if it's three field goals in the first quarter, I'd be happy. But I mean, it was the typical shit show. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of this stuff guys from a, you know, an execution and a coaching standpoint, it's beyond the point of no return in the season. Yeah. This stuff just doesn't get fair. You know, if the if the off week was this week, I, I would feel a lot better about the second half of the season than I do sitting here right now. There's just, um, you know, the the issues at the quarterback position, the issues at left tackle. Um, I still don't have any complaints about the defense. I mean, I think those guys, when they're out there, and you know, the game is still in question. Um, I mean, they're balls to the wall, and they're fun to watch. You know, I do think maybe some of the wild turkeys still in them, and they take the foot off the gas when they, you know, when there is a big lead a little bit. But I, I can't complain about the scheme or the execution or the effort of the players. They're fun to watch. But, I mean, that offense, yeah, I, I'm I'm probably, you know, between now and Friday going to get my doctor to call me an anxiety medicine in. It's, it's just gotten to the point where I want to, flip the channel and come back when they're when the other team's punting i mean uh when alabama's punting and we're fixing to go on defense yeah the the, the, the thing is and i and i wanted you to clarify a couple of points of the offensive line William. just to so you're what you were saying is you felt like that jc latham should have been moved to left tackle before the spring to work him there and then uh have the other two kids especially uh proctor fight uh you try to win it and then try to fight it out at right tackle correct yeah, I mean, I, I just felt like, I mean, uh, of the three, Pritchett right. is the prototypical body build for a left tackle. You know, his wingspan is off the chain. But, you know, he was still a little bit gimpy in the spring from his torn pec. I don't think he was 100%. But, yeah, I think the the, the simple move would have been to put Latham at left tackle um, and then let Pritchett and uh, – um, uh, Proctor, you know, duel it out at right tackle, or maybe even put Proctor inside and put Booker at right tackle. Right. Um, I just, I just think Proctor, in his current state, can't play left or right tackle. He's too damn big, and he can't move. Um, you know, yes, if you're, um, if you've got a right-handed quarterback, your left, your left tackle is going to get the worst of the matchups each week. That's where they're going to put their best edge rusher. Um, but you know, it's, it's just, you know, five, six sacks a week. I mean, it, it's, it's just getting out of hand and, you know, there's, there's some good things going on, um, you know, with the rest of the offensive line most of the time. And, but, but you know, all it takes is, is one bad apple to screw up the whole apple cart. Um, when you're talking about a cohesive unit along the offensive line and it's just, there, there really hasn't been any improvement um at that position since game one so i I mean i don't expect some uh immaculate you know performance this week and tennessee's got some nasty edge rushers they're they uh, they, they you know they're a little bit different than a and m um and this is kind of scary to say the you know the tackles are the ones under the bright lights this week their their edge guys are better than their inside guys um so, you know, the coaching staff has their work cut out for them as far as, you know, constructing a game plan to try and work around these deficiencies. 
Um, and, you know, Kevin Steele on that side of the ball, you know, has a has a tough job this week because, you know, I, I do think with, with the advent of their running game, and I, I can't remember the Tennessee, maybe it's Davis, um, is their is their featured tailback? I could be wrong, but they've got a Jalen really Wright. good Jalen Wright. Right, right, right. Excuse me. Um, Wright is a really, really nasty running back. So um, you know they're gonna have to make sure that their run fits and the front seven are, are on spot. Um, thank God there's no Darnell Wright to donkey punch our whole pass rushing game this year. Um, so you know I mean it's a tough matchup, and you know, thank God it's. Uh, you know, it's at home and not back up there at that hell hole in Knoxville. Yeah, because uh, you know he, the coach Heupel hasn't lost a game. I think he's twelve and zero now, twelve thirteen and zero at home. Uh, he of course he beat Dirt Neck and and A uh, and M couldn't quite get over the hump. They lost twenty to thirteen. And I will say this before we go, I go to Thomas. One more comment for you on the offensive line. I know you you mentioned it briefly, but he got his second straight start. Uh, T Ferg was held out. So was Dalcourt. How did you think Roberts played? I, mean, I think he's a player, but Drew. I mean, he looks great. He moves great. Um, you know, he's nasty. Um, you know, I, I really kind of isolated him a little bit in my rewatch. And, you know, he, he comes off of combo blocks and gets to the next level. Um, now, I mean, is he, you know, going to be up for, for an All-SEC award as a freshman? No. Um, but, but as far as exceeding expectations, especially when you consider where he started, um, as a third team guy, I mean, he's certainly done that. And, and I agree with coach Saban. I mean, it's, it's enjoyable. It's one of the few enjoyable things I've had about this offense this year, you know, is to watch a kid get an opportunity. And I promise you this, whether it's Dalcourt or, or, uh, uh, T. Ferg, I mean, he's given this coaching staff something to scratch their head about, about whether they remove him from the lineup if, in fact, those guys do get held. Yeah, he really has. And I was going to bring in Thomas Watts. And Thomas, uh, you know, certainly a, a frustrating second half. I mean, it was a, a, a fun second quarter. Alabama got it rolling. Uh, you know, we so once again, we see the vertical passing game be big. Uh, Alabama took advantage of a couple of busts. They certainly hit Prentice for a big play touchdown. Uh, you know, Burton got a long catch. Then we saw Nye Black go in. Uh, and, then I, and then they got up under center and they snuck it in the end zone, uh, which I like uh, with uh, Milrose. So I thought there were some good things in the first half. But then the second half, and, I, and it's, again, I didn't have a ton of issue with the play call. And I had a lot of people blowing me up saying, why did Alabama go away from the run, just keep running the football? Because Arkansas adjusted, you know, it's as we've always said on this show, it's chess, not checkers. It's a, it's a, it's a game of, you know, uh, you know, it's just of adjustments. And Arkansas and Travis Williams, they started walking safeties up. They started loading the box. They're not going to let Alabama run it every down. Got to be able to be balanced and hit throws. And I thought four or five times. Now there was a couple of drops, Thomas, but I thought Milrow left a lot of yards out there with open receivers. Right. So, you know, Milrow hit the wall, unfortunately, as you said. And I think more than anything, when you talk about the game and how the second half really went, like, let's just let's let's put a box around the first half briefly. Arkansas was essentially they said 
and the, their defense is predicated on not letting teams get over the top. Well, Alabama did it at least twice, three times, depending on how you want to, you know, play what over the top means. You know, whatever. It's it's neither here nor there. And so Arkansas goes in at halftime and says, well, we can't do that, and we're not sure that the Alabama offensive line is going to be able to dominate the line of scrimmage if we have dudes further back. Well, first drive of the year, first drive of the second half, guess what they did? They dominated the line of scrimmage. Alabama was running all over Arkansas, and Alabama fans, myself included, felt that it was about time to make Arkansas quit. Happy days, go down and get a field goal. But the Arkansas defensive staff, led by Travis Williams, says, okay, well, we can't do that. Like, we cannot allow Alabama to just run the ball down our throats. It's, it's you know, it'll make the game really short, but we're going to get our butts kicked. So they went back to what they were doing previously. You know, they brought dudes down in the box. Alabama would have to run into heavy things, et cetera, et cetera. And the way you beat that is intermediate to long passing. And honestly, this has been the, the, the terror. The Jalen Milrow terror is very straightforward. He has really consistently sailed passes. Like, he's throwing balls really high. He's done it throughout the year. You know, we made the comment after the Texas game. If not for some spectacular catches, Alabama, that game would have been worse. And with that going on, you know, what was it? Uh, Isaiah Bond caught a ball. What did I say three weeks ago or four weeks ago, whatever the hell it was. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Jalen Milrow just killed the guy because he dropped him on his head. Like, I said that live. And he's done that. You know, think about last week to Texas A&M. Amari Nyblack, who is every bit of, what, 6'4", like the tallest wide receiver Alabama has, could not climb the ladder to catch a pass. And so that, that's, that's Milrow's thing. And we have a question about mechanics that we'll get to at the end of the show. Thank you for the question from Twitter. But, you know, that, that's how you beat it. You, know, you beat it with forcing safeties to back off. Alabama did that in the first half. They weren't able to do it in the second. And... You know, this is probably the first game where the wide receivers as a group weren't able to consistently bail Jalen Milrow out. And there were a few where you're just like, my God, Jalen Milrow, you are going to get someone killed. Like, this is going to end badly if you're not careful. So it was, it was a you know, a, a kerfuffle. I'll leave it at kerfuffle. It would be PG today. But that all being said, I will say that... The defense was absolutely awesome for the better part of two and a half quarters. And the penalty, which we haven't talked about, or maybe we did briefly, but I didn't, was was stupid. You know, Arkansas was ready to punt the ball and go on with their lives. And then suddenly they got a spark and suddenly here we are in a fight. Yeah, they got keyed. Yeah, they got keyed. (laughs) They got keyed up. (laughs) Bad, Bad puns on Bam's radio today. But... You know, the defense continues to play very well. You know, I started digging into the stats of the the game, and it's impressive if you can hold any team, like, in a major conference, even though I think Arkansas is not, you know, Arkansas is not exactly what I would call world beaters, to 250 yards of total offense. And if you want to play with stats, should K.J. Jefferson have been down when Terry Arnold had him a hold of him for three seconds? Maybe, maybe not. 
you can even slice a chunk of that off. So I think at the end of the day, the defense remains awesome. The offense remains frustrating, and the frustrating offense is baked in. You know, the offensive line is not going to get that much better. I think Jalen Milrow will progress, but, you know, this one of the reasons we all kind of freaked out about how well he played against Texas A&M is that Jalen Milrow was generally much more accurate, particularly in their intermediate passing game, which would unlock this offense. And honestly, if he was more accurate yesterday, you know, if we're talking, I'm looking at his stats, he was 10 of 21 for 238. He would have probably been about 15 for 20, maybe 16 for 23, something like that. For yeah, something like that. He'd have been around 300 yards based on where the based on where balls were thrown. Um, you know that's and we're talking suddenly instead of 24, 21, where the pucker factor is set is pegged at constant 15, and we're talking. 31, maybe 31, 13, 34, 13, and suddenly Alabama covers and everybody's happy because the Alabama offense is a lot better. So it's, you know, this is baked into the cake. Can Jalen Milrow get better through reps? Maybe, but there's a ceiling there. And it's it's just going to end up being a case where it's going to be nip and tuck in every game. And, you know, and William, you're absolutely right. I'm not sure Tennessee, if Alabama's defense doesn't hold Tennessee down pretty well. There's a whole there's a whole efficiency discussion to be had about that. It's going to be great. The real question to me, it's twofold. Can the Alabama defense make the LSU offense inefficient in two weeks or three weeks or whatever the hell it is? And can the LSU defense being so god-awful, particularly in the secondary— does Alabama's offense, which to this point has been either explosive or dead in the water, does the Alabama offense gain some efficiency because of how bad the LSU defense is? That's going to be a really interesting game that we'll break down in a couple of weeks on BAMS Radio. But overall, Drew, to the Arkansas game, yeah, you know, a, a play here, a play there. And this is a team that if – Unlike many other teams, it's a game of inches. You know, Alabama can't – they can't F around and find out as much. They just don't have that margin based on how they're playing. And they almost f around or farted around and found out, if you know what I mean. And that's just – that's baked into the cake at this point. Is it frustrating? Absolutely. Is it, you know, make me want to throw my uh, my remote through the television sometimes because it's right there? Yes. One final point. Miss me with the Tommy Reese stuff. I think this was one of his, I think the past two games, particularly his adjustments against Texas A&M and large swaths of his Arkansas game were some of his best work. Just understand that there are serious limitations in this offense that, you know, if Jalen Milrow can drop every one of his passes under 30 yards, about six inches, suddenly Tommy Reese looks awesome. But until he's shown he can do that, which he has yet to do this year, plus maybe develop a little bit of pocket presence, which is a whole other conversation. Oh, my God. Jesus, take the wheel. Get the, get the bourbon and prepare yourselves if we go there. But that's how close this is. But I'm not sure it's going to get there. I think these are, not fe- these are not features. These are bugs that you cannot fix in season, Drew. 
Well, I mean, I, before I go back to William, I'll just say the three biggest areas he's got to improve, you know, are the pocket presence, which he has had a huge problem with. Three of the four sacks yesterday were on him, in my opinion. One time, 74 with, got him sacked, no question. Uh, and, and really, and, and maybe you could say two of the four, because I think one other time, 57 whiffed on an inside move, uh, got whipped by the by the kid, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Luke, I guess it was Lucas Jackson was the kid. He was Landon Jackson, excuse me, uh, had a great game and sacked him. So, you know, but at least two of the sacks were on him, uh, you know, no question about it. Uh, you know, he needed his pocket presence. He's got to learn to step up in the pocket and help the offensive line. But I don't know, like you said, if that's going to happen this year. Um, but the uh, you know th- that's a problem, no doubt. And then being a willing runner, and not on like design quarterback runs, like even the the student body right, which he doesn't look natural doing, or the zone read, which he tried to do once yesterday, it was ugly. Um, it's going to be those uh, improvised runs uh, where he just takes off like against Mississippi State. That's the way Milrow is going to have to hurt people this year and probably his whole career because he's just not comfortable doing that other other stuff. Now, you can rep it in the offseason. Perhaps he finally buys in, gets better. But I'm just talking about this year. If you're trying to win this season, the improvised runs are what he's going to have to do. Um, and then, you know, I think also uh, throwing the ball away, living to fight another down. He did that once yesterday. And I guess it's really a four-prong deal. You know, throwing it away is one. Pocket presence is two, uh, you know, and, and helping, uh, you know, uh, the, the offensive line out, no question about it. Uh, and then, you know, and then the other thing, he, and then taking off and, and being a willing, you know, imp- runner on improv- improvisational plays. And then the fourth thing is he's got to be more accurate on his short to intermediate. And, and we've seen he can do it. He did it against Texas A&M. It just can't be a Steven Garcia moment, hopefully. He's got to be better than that. He's got to make better throws. Uh, he had he had made some progress in the previous two and a half games, just had a bad second half. He can't do that Saturday or they won't beat Tennessee. He's got to be sharp. He's got to be efficient. And if he is, Alabama can win this because I think they can find a way to run the ball. I know Tennessee stopped A&M's run. Uh, but if Milrow can hit some throws, and I think Tennessee's weakness is their secondary, then it'll open up the running game, and they'll be able to run it well enough to win. If not, then you're going to be in a dogfight, and it's going to be tough to beat Tennessee. So I'm hoping this is a wake-up call for the team, the way they played in the second half. Uh, you could tell when Coach Saban came out Wednesday and started uh, giving everybody a speech that the week of practice had not been good. And so that's why they didn't finish this game. And they've got to they've got to continue to cut down on the penalties. They did Saturday, but then they had two or three bonehead ones. They can't have bonehead penalties against Tennessee either. It's a good Tennessee team. I don't know. It's a great team because uh, Tennessee couldn't uh, throw the football well against A and M. They only were eleven to twenty two for hundred yards, but they ran it. And the key last year, William kind of mentioned it earlier. Alabama didn't stop the run. Uh, you know, against Tennessee, they gave up hundred eighty yards rushing. This defense has to stop the run. And they need to turn uh, Joe Milton over, William. Yeah, and I've, I've got one last thought on the Arkansas game. Um, and, and this sure. isn't necessarily a, a ding on Tommy Reese for the play calling because I don't have an issue with any of that. But the, the collective between Tommy Reese and Eric Wolford has to hopefully sat down this morning at 730 and said, look, 
I know it's going to affect the play calling. I know it's going to expect the diversity in formations. But yesterday at about halfway through the fourth quarter, I channeled my inner, I'm Landon Jackson's daddy. And when this tape gets out to the NFL scouts next week, I'm picking out the kind of boat that I want, the truck that I want to pull it with, uh, maybe buy me a second home for me and my son, um, because it was that bad and, and, and that good in Landon Jackson's favor. And there wasn't any pass rushing magistry involved. His initial move was to slap whichever left tackle was on him's hands away and just run right by him. There, there wasn't any spinning. There wasn't any ducking and diving underneath. It was just a straight-up speed rush, and it was like watching a, a pass pro drill in practice, um, you know, that, that, that had just gone haywire. So that they've got to, at this point, if they want to reach their goal and, and you know, not end up in the Music City Bowl, they got to have a tight end over there on the left tackle, or they got to have an H back Agreed. or a running back. Somebody, Agreed. and I know it's going to affect the scheme and multiple formations and this, that, and the other, but this wouldn't be the first time this has had to have been implemented in the game of college football, and it won't be the last, but it's long past time for it to take place. It is. I, I, I thought about that too. They've got to help. Especially against Tennessee, who's got a good pass rush. They they're going to have to game plan some things and chip with running backs and tight ends. There's no doubt about it, William. I I would agree with that. Even if you have to send less guys out on the patterns, and again, that goes back to Milrow also, you know, improvising and using his legs. He just they again, if he's not good at zone read right now, and never probably maybe never may never will. He probably won't. I understand. Okay, fine. And if he's even timing up quarterback draws, okay. But the improvisational stuff, it's kind of like, you know, what you said before we started the show. It's maddening because <laughs> he's a guy with great feet, great speed, at least straight line-wise, and he's not using it. And he needs to use it. Uh, no question about it. He needs to do the job. He needs to scramble. There's no question about that. No doubt. And so I think overall, when you, when you think about that and, you know, what he needs to do, uh, you know, they – uh, that that's where the growth needs to take place. And I, and, and again, uh, you can, I just, I think and the coaching staff would be doing this. I think if you're Tommy Reese, you're Nick Saban, you just got to tell them, look, you know, Hey man, we understand, but you just, you've got to be willing to improvise. If no one's open, you don't see anybody over, you know, uh, after your first couple of reads, uh, you, you know, you, especially if the O line is, uh, you know, if you, and again, he's got to do a better job of feeling pressure. But if the O line gives you time, but you don't see anybody open, you know, take off. We just we don't need the negative plays because I think you know this Alabama team against certain opponents, it's going to be very difficult uh, to to overcome uh, you know a loss of three, four, five, six, seven yards. And so I think overall, that's the growth that needs to take place. We'll see if it does. He's done some good things. I'm certainly not calling for him to be benched. We just need to see that kind of growth. And people have to understand, too, I mean, uh, he came into this year with one start ever in his career, uh, and so he's got six. And so people saying, well, he's not improved or grown, that's not true because he had two and a half really good games. He just didn't play well against that second half against Arkansas. And yet, hellfire, guys. I'll just say this, and they were ranked, and everybody, and they let me down yesterday. But I'd take Jalen Milrow 10 times out of 10 over Devin Leary over at Kentucky. 
I'm telling you what, <laughs> that kid can't play dead in a B Western. And well, uh, I, I think I think if this, if you really want to get frustrated, because I have no doubt in a in a forty yard dash, Jalen Milrow would win the forty yard dash race. But it, 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 what's frustrating is when you look and you hear all the people talking about. Um, you know, LSU having the best offense in the in the country or in the right. SEC. You know, that Jalen Daniels, he Jayden he not Daniels. only he not only sees it, he yeah. senses it. You know, yeah, there was does, one time there was one time he didn't have but about a you know, he, he saw the the defensive tackle slant inside, he saw the defensive end looped, and when he recognized that, the hole that was there wasn't twenty four to thirty inches wide. But right. he knew it was going to expand, dude. He took off gliding and didn't stop till he picked up twenty eight yards. And, yes. and you know, if if he could just get to that point, because um, that's why their offense is so damn good. Is he is their quarterback? You know, their skill players aren't any better. Their O line's not much better than Alabama's. He's just got so much more pocket presence and and field awareness right now. I mean, if there is a negative play to take place. He bails them out of it with his feet. Um, you know, he'll still take sacks because uh, a lot of times he does improvise a little bit too long trying to wait for, you know, either a receiver to come open downfield or a chance for him to run the football. But that that should be what Tommy Reese's goal is for the second half of the season with Jalen Milrow. Hey, we just need you to be Jalen Daniels or a poor man's version of it. Yeah, I mean, Jaden Daniels – He's improved so much too. His ball placement is so good. Like they just they toyed with Auburn yesterday. I thought Auburn would have a chance to stay in it, not win it, but I thought they could come up with a good enough offensive plan with LSU not being very good on defense could stay in the game, but ultimately fall to Jaden Daniels. But uh, they could not can they they Jaden Daniels and that offense just shredded them. Uh, I thought they could slow them down a little bit, but they couldn't at all. And then Auburn had, a, a, you know, just their offensive ineptitude. They they just don't have a, a lot of talent on that side of the ball. And LSU did a better job on defense than they've been doing. And they were just able to slow Auburn down. And Auburn just doesn't have enough difference makers, as Pat Dye used to say. And they fell 48-18. to 18. And we, we referenced uh, Kentucky. They fell flat on their damn face. They got up to a 14 nothing lead and then got the absolute shit beat out of them uh, the rest of the game by Missouri. So. They're in, they're you know in, in a lot of trouble. So, but and that, Alabama has to go to Lexington later in the year, which will be interesting. That's another very interesting road trip for Alabama. But right now, they can't even worry about LSU. They got to worry about Tennessee. Uh, nobody likes losing to those pukes. Uh, they lost last year because they didn't, uh, you know, catch the ball late with uh, Jameer Gibbs, and and they left you know too many plays out there on the field because they couldn't get off the field, and you know didn't help with Mo, Larry, Curly, and Shemp officiating but again they still had their chances and didn't get it done will had a very rare miss uh, in his storied career so there's a lot of things that happened and so alabama should have a long memory and should be ready and locked in to play this game i think they will be i think that was part of the reason they didn't play well the second half of this one and so we'll see uh certainly they won't lack for motivation and should be extremely motivated thomas to play against these pukes uh, and, uh, and and try to whip their ass for 16 out of 17. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is you know, this is one of the two games Alabama lost last year, as has been said. And this Tennessee team is not the same as the one last year. They have some 
essentially, Tennessee has the way they've always wanted to attack is honestly very similar, at least conceptually, as what Alabama wants to do this year, or at least had before the offensive line, you know, did offensive line things. Um, And that is run the ball to set up the pass. You know, Tennessee, when they're able to get a good run game going, suddenly here's what happens. You have what you what what is going to have what Tennessee wants to do is make you uncomfortable stopping the run with four or five in the box or six and able to get, you know, if you're able to get three, four, five yards a clip, maybe an occasional explosive, that's a big deal. And once you do that, you have to bring a maybe a seventh guy into the box. And what Tennessee does is they abuse the hash mark system as good as anybody. And if you want to take a look at some tape, you know, if you're scouting the teams, take a look at how the Oklahoma offense works this year. And the interesting thing, and one of the things I hope they change in college, is shrink the hash marks to NFL. Or, you know, like chop six inches both sides or something. Because what you have is when you're on the left hash in college, the right side of the field is absolutely enormous. And conversely, the same thing on the other side. It's one of the reasons if you happen to watch a football game with one Thomas Watts, every time Alabama runs some kind of speed sweep to the short side of the field when they're on a hash, I scream, why the hell would you do that? But neither here nor there. But what they're going to do is, you know, you push a seventh guy into the box to stop the Tennessee run. They're going to put two and three and sometimes four wide receivers out like a yard away from the chalk. And what you have to do is, you know, if you've got two guys in bunch formations on both sides, or you've got two guys in stack formations, you've got to walk your cornerbacks and or your safeties much further out, which gives space to operate and really puts your corners and your safeties on islands. So that's where, that's how Tennessee's offense wants to work. You go back and look at last year. Alabama couldn't stop the run to save their lives. And so up and down the field we go. And because Alabama has to commit to stop the run, suddenly you have Jalen Hyatt doing Jalen Hyatt things for four quarters, which was absolutely as fun as it sounds. So that's what you're going to see with what Tennessee wants to do. Now, the difference is Joe Milton is not even in the same conversation as Hendon Hooker. Yes, Joe Milton could probably throw the football over the moon from his knees while making an omelet with one of his with his offhand. I don't care. He's not accurate. He's erratic. And I think this is the best pass defense in particular that Joe Milton has seen. I mean, Alabama's pass defense is fantastic. So I think this is like this is one of those matchups, at least for the Alabama defense, that I think they're going to be able to make this offense very inefficient. And with that, suddenly it's going to get weird because when I say inefficient, I mean unable to consistently generate first downs. Now, one of the weird things about this Tennessee team is they've been pretty high variance. Frankly, they're about as high variance as Alabama in terms of like how they've performed, which is kind of horrifying if you ask me but I think Alabama is going to be able to really stymie the run and you want to look at how I think it's going to go look at what Georgia did to Tennessee defensively last year you know Georgia beat 
the ever-loving crap out of that Tennessee team in Athens last year. I mean, I think Hendon Hooker's still trying to bleach the dirt stains out of his jersey from that day. So I think Alabama's going to be, be able to do a lot of that, at least when it comes to the Alabama defense. Now let's talk about the Alabama offense. Uh, Tennessee, I just would plan for five sacks. Um, I would also plan for a new television because, again, remote, throw, bang, aw is going to probably be the order of the day at least once this upcoming Saturday. Weirdly, though, you know, you look at this Tennessee team and the great failure that Texas A&M had was their run got absolutely nuked. And Tennessee's def- rush defense, at least yards per game-wise, has not been great. You know, they're mid-40s. They're great against the pass, you know, in the top 15, but they're mid-40s against the run. So that, to me, it, it you know, I hate to sound like I'm beating a broken record. Alabama's going to be able to do some y- get some yards on the ground. But Alabama's offense really works best when it's balanced, when you can get the defense to walk a seventh guy into the box and then you complete a um, pass over the middle or an intermediate route. If we get the best ver- – if we get Texas A&M Jalen Milrow – Alabama's going to annihilate Tennessee. I mean, that's going to be a just a whooping. If we get second-half Arkansas Jalen Milrow, again, new television remote throw metaphor beaten to death by one Thomas Watts. So the variance is the thing here. There are paths forward, and I think you can lean on the Alabama defense to make Tennessee inefficient. But if it turns into a passing fest, Tennessee's going to chew the Alabama offensive line to bits. And I'm not sure they don't do it anyway. So that's the variance here. And if Alabama is unable to really get stuff rolling and make them make Tennessee inefficient in the run game, suddenly we're talking shootout, which is not a comfortable place for this team. I will say, you know, I said, you know, I want to give one quick statistic for the Tennessee rush offense. It's top 15. So it's going to be tough to make inefficient, but if there's one group that can do it, where essentially we're going to play man-to-man on the outside and just put the clamps on your run, let's make Joe Milton make accurate passes, it's this Alabama defense. I think you're going to see a lot from that Georgia defensive game plan last year, tried here, and it remains to be seen if it will work. I I truly have no great feel about that. If Alabama is able to make Tennessee inefficient, game over. It's just just pure game over. But that's, again, I, ha- I hate to sound like a broken record. The variance matters here. And until we see, you know, a quarter or whatever, we won't know. Now, I will give Alabama one more piece of props, and I'll kick it back to you, Drew. The big thing that this Alabama staff has done that has been generally impressive to me is adjust. Like, I think... As a staff, you know, Kevin Steele, Tommy Reese, and their coaches underneath has been better than any staff Nick Saban's had on both sides of the ball for at least three years, probably closer to five. I think Sark was a better offensive adjuster than Tommy Reese, but the next time Pete Golding adjusts properly will be the first. So as a group, I have faith in the staff plugging away and getting it close to right, but you know, we'll see. I think this is going to be a wild game. And with the variance, I mean, I'm an Alabama fan. I'm probably going to pick Alabama to win. But good grief. It could very well be Alabama annihilating Tennessee. 
Tennessee could annihilate Alabama, quite frankly. So, you know, but at the end of the day, it's going to be one of those 24-21 or 34-27 kind of games. So we'll see, Drew. Well, I mean, Alabama hasn't been able to get into the 30s yet. That's the only thing that I hesitate. I mean, they, uh, you know, they that's they, they, William kind of mentioned it earlier. The, the ceiling's kind of been 24 points. They got 26 against A&M. Uh, you know, I'm leaning toward more of a 29-20 uh, type game for Alabama uh, to win the game, 29-17, something like that. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'll, uh, I'm gonna, I, 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 we'll go to William in a second. But I, what we really need to do is start answering the questions, Thomas. Uh, let's, let's, uh, and we'll vote. We'll all get into that conversation, and I'll throw it to William first with the questions. But uh, let us know what, what are the uh, listeners wanting to, what, what would, the, what were they wanting us to kind of broach? Sure. So this is an offense. There, it's two offensive questions. Um. And here, here's the first one from, uh, I'm just going to say, Bama, Bama dude, you know who you are. Um, why the reluctance to run outside with uh, Jamarian Miller and Justice Haynes? Well, they did run outside with Jam, uh, William. Uh, I'll let you handle that. I thought, but I did like that. I, I like the fact that both of them played and they got Jam outside a little bit in the game yesterday. Yeah, no, I, yesterday was probably the most concerted effort. I've seen them try and get the ball. Um, you know, outside the damn seven gap. Um, and, and you know, I, I'd like to see them continue to do more of it. I think that is something that they were lacking in uh, prior to Saturday. Um, I, I don't really think it matters which one of the backs it's with. Um, I, I did like seeing Miller and, and Haynes both, uh, um, you know, come in and, and get in on the action yesterday. I think they had you know, four different running backs that averaged over five yards per carry yesterday, um, which is an improvement. Um, but but I, I totally agree with uh, Bama Dude's um, scratching of his head. There, there really hasn't been a lot of effort to get the ball outside, which, you know, until Milrow can uh, – until Milrow showed against A&M that he could beat you with his arm, it makes it a little bit difficult to, you know, get out there on the edge when they've got safeties, you know, walked up in the box because they can fill that, you know, pretty quickly. But I would like to see that, you know, more of an effort going forward, um, you know, to make the outside run game a bigger part of their ground game. Yeah, and I, I would agree. Uh, I think I liked that variance they showed yesterday. Hopefully it's uh, something they'll go to more against Tennessee as well and it was something they were wanting to put on film but then also use – uh, you know, I really like, uh, you know, the, 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 that, uh, 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 you know, wrinkle that they added yesterday. Thomas, I'll let you answer it as well. But I, I thought they did show some different things in the running game that they don't make Tennessee after a game plan for. But then there's some things that they can also continue to add. And hopefully, I don't think we'll see a ton of carries from Jam and, and uh, Haynes, but hopefully we'll see a few touches per game because, I think both of them could be valuable. And I went back and checked the stats, too. Everybody criticizes the running game, and it, and it has been a little scattershot. But, see, a lot of it, people don't pay attention to the, the sack yardage that they add to it. When you go back and look at it, you know, McClellan is averaging nearly five yards per carry. Roy Dell, 5.2. Uh, you know, uh, Haynes, six yards per carry. And then uh, Jam is averaging just over four. So, again, the yards per carry is pretty good, 
It's just the, the sacks, they need to cut out some of them. In other words, the quarterback needs to make better decisions, needs to handle himself better, and then be a more willing runner, and I think it would help the running game, Thomas. Right. Hey, Thomas, before yes, we get to the next question, I want to ask the list. First of all, I want you to take the first stab at this because I think this is probably the worst stat that I've seen all season long. Um, I'm not a big pro football focus um, guy because uh, I, I think they do a piss poor job with their line of scrimmage grades. But I do think this is – and, you know, if, if the listeners want to discuss this with you and Drew on Twitter, have at it. Um, I don't have Twitter, and I never will, but you can Facebook message me any question you want to. Um, Thomas, you're the stat guy. Do you want to take a guess at who the – and let me say this. I don't know how they grade offensive line pass protection today, but I will tell you this. When I was playing, if your man didn't touch the quarterback for three seconds – you got, it, it, you know, and then he hit them later. You got what was called an NG, a no grade. It wasn't a plus or a minus. They just gave you an NG because that's all they asked you to do was to slow your man down for three seconds. Um, you want to take a guess at who the two leading quarterbacks are in the amount of time on dropped back throws it takes them to get rid of the football. Yeah, I'm just going to say Jalen Milrow and Joe Milton. You talking about the, the guys that get rid of it quickest? No, you said the lo- the longest. I thought I no, heard. Oh, well, quickest. let's let's no, let's 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 start let's start with who the top two are at getting them off the quickest. Oh gosh, that's going to set the bar. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's not Penix because that's a down. That's more a downfield attack. Just in just in the SEC. Oh, okay. Oh gosh, I have absolutely no idea. Let's go Jackson Dart and Beck, Carson Beck. Yeah, Carson Beck. Okay, the top two guys are pretty much right there together. It's Carson Beck and Missouri's Brady Cook at okay. two point three seconds. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. The the middle of the pack guys, the guys that are doing it kind of where you want them to be would be guys like Jackson Dart and Jalen da- Jaden Daniels. They're around 2.7. Anybody want to take a guess at who the worst is and the time it takes them to get the ball out of there? I would say Jalen Milrow at over three and a half seconds. Yeah. You're, you're pretty damn good. 3.4 seconds last in the SEC. And I think that right there says a lot about where this team is at as an offense. Yeah. You got to get the ball out of your hand, man. You, you got to ha- and this this goes back to a uh, I'll answer the question in a second. Uh this goes back to the pocket presence. You got to have a timer in your head. And one of the and things and and one of the things that'll drive you crazy and one of our friends does this and when he does it, I again remote television throw, he puts stills of looking at plays and Jalen Miller has a lane, but he's just standing in the pocket making an omelet, curing cancer. Oh, I'm going to throw the ball or not. I mean, there is something to be said. Everyone's bashing the offensive line. I think the offensive line's had its struggles. But there's something to be 100%. said. 100%. Yeah, but there's also something to be said for how long how, – like how much time do you need? You know, what, what the classic Aaron Rodgers drill to get out the ball in two seconds. 
snap the ball, and at two seconds, they blow an air horn. You know, something like that to get that timer in your head. Now, that's kind of an extreme case, and I, I don't want to think about that for Jalen Milrow, but that would, that would help the offensive line immensely. And what else would that do? Alabama has a penchant for like third and forever this year. It, it's painful. You're not going to convert a lot of third and 15s. There's just not a lot of go get 15 yards in one play because that, that isn't something you want to draw up. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the guys who's like, well, we have to go win, convert fourth and 22. And without fail, the commentators will say, there's not a lot of plays in the playbook to get this one, fellas. It's like, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I don't I don't want my offensive coordinator to be wasting his time on, I need a play that can go get me 22 yards 80% of the time. Because one, not going to happen. Two, how much time are you wasting trying to figure out it's not going to happen? But I digress. That's the, but that's the pocket presence thing. Now, let me, let me jump to this. Uh, let me jump to the, back to the question at hand of why not run outside? And it really comes down to where the safeties are playing for the opposing team. I think there's a, there was a play that Arkansas ran. It ended up being a speed sweep. And I believe either Caleb Downs or Jalen Key read it, crashed it, tackle for loss. Well, that's a hell of a lot easier when the safety is, you know, 12 y- 10 to 12 yards off the line of scrimmage. It's a hell of a lot harder when he's 15 to 20 because it's just, it's just physics. It's travel time. And it's hard to get the angle right because generally, if you get a full head of steam coming from 20 yards, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to absolutely murderize and, you know, turn into a, a lovely, you know, piggy paste the, the running back. Or you're going to be that guy that in film review gets laughed at because not only do you miss the wide receiver, you're going so bloody fast that you have 20 yards to slow down. So that that that's why, going back to that safety point, that's why Jam and Justice and the, all the running backs really were able to eat so much on that one drive. Arkansas is like, we're going to back off because Arkansas's defense is predicated on nothing over the top. All right, cool. Then they had to adjust back because they realized, oh, crap, we can't stop Alabama with a, with a light box. And this dovetails into our second question, and I'll, t- I'll ask it, and then I'll, take, I'll answer first. Uh, this is from John on Twitter. Uh, why, do, why, do, why does Milrose throwing mechanics look so bad on intermediate throws and so good on deep throws? And I'm actually going to push back slightly. I think Jalen Milrose mechanics are generally bad everywhere. Um, the thing yeah. about his deep throws is he put like he throws the ball to the moon. He's got so much arm strength that it's like, oh, if I put enough air under it and my wide receiver wins, my wide receiver will have time to adjust. You know, if if you were to look at a cutup of Jalen Milrow's deep balls, a lot of the ones, particularly the moonshots, are wide receiver adjustments. You know, Jermaine Burton has hit another gear in terms of the ability to adjust to the ball in the air when Milrow throws it deep. I mean, that's been his best thing. But the thing about short to intermediate is you do need, like, you need a base. And where does it, you need, you need, try and set your feet. Yes, if you're rolling, you're going to have, you're not going to be able to do that. But, you you know, if you, a good, what are good mechanics? Feet set, 
driving the ball forward, shoulders towards the target. You know, that's the thing. If you're rolling, you have to get your shoulders back parallel to the line of scrimmage. That's really what you want to see. When you don't do that, you have the sailing problem. You have the inaccuracy problem. I mean, one of the things that's been a hallmark of Jalen Milrow is think about when he missed the wheel routes to the running backs against Texas. Well, one, he flat overthrew. Okay, fine. We'll give you that one kind of sort of, even though it was wide open and I, again, remote television throw. Anyway, that, that one wasn't the bad one. It was the other one to Roy Dell Williams that he threw behind him. You put that ball out in front of him, the man's still running. And he has a tendency to do that. And that comes down to sometimes not, not trusting his protection, sometimes not having the pocket awareness, not knowing, okay, I need to reset my feet to make this thing accurate. And if I make an accurate throw, my guy can go get 40 more yards. And that's going to take, that's, that's probably more an off season fix. It might get a little bit better as Reese coaches him, but I feel like that's another one of the things that's kind of baked into the cake. And again, Last week, I offered Crow to everybody wanting to bash on Holman Wiggins, and I have some in the freezer. You're out of hot sauce, and it's going to be reheated. I don't know what microwave Quaro tastes like, but his position group has helped immensely. If Alabama's wide receivers were even like a standard deviation worse this year, that's suddenly where you're getting into Alabama losing multiple games because there would have been a lot more second-half Arkansas than there's been to this point, and that is alarming to me. But mechanics are hard to fix in season, and Jalen Milrow's mechanics have always been a mess, which is even more hilarious because Jalen Mil- there's a faction of Jalen Milrow's orbiters that thinks Jalen Milrow should be Tom Brady. Okay, well, if you want to be a pocket passer, develop your mechanics. Instead of throwing, you know, 50-yard-in-the-air arm punts that, oh, they're so pretty, well, yeah, when you can throw them to the moon and your wide receiver runs under them and you can do nothing else effectively with consistency, come on, guys. Like, if you want to be the thing, do the work to be the thing. Don't just say you're doing the work to be the thing because that's just not happened so far. But what do you think, Drew? Well, no, his mechanics have always been kind of scattershot. He... He throws the deep ball pretty well because he can put air under, you know, the ball at times and throws a decent deep ball. I mean, he's a good deep ball thrower. Uh, he, he at least gives the receiver a chance to go get it. Is it something all the time that, you know, they can run after the catch? He, he, he was able to, to hit, you know, Prentice yesterday with that. And he's hit, you know, uh, uh, Burton with, uh, with the one before. But, you know, most of the time, they, he at least gives them an opportunity to go up and go get it. Now, the problem with his short and intermediate stuff is, much, as you just got through saying, he likes to throw his deep balls to the moon. The problem is he, he's, he, doesn't, he only has a fastball. He doesn't take anything off when he's making his short and intermediate throws. He needs to work on that to be able to hit guys. But I don't think that's something that's going to be able to do during this season. So, they're going to have to kind of tailor the passing game around that uh, because he just doesn't throw with a lot of touch the rest of this year. They're going to have to try to – I think the key early in the Tennessee game is going to be to get him into a rhythm like they did against, uh, uh, you know, uh, A&M. I almost think they should throw to set up the run. I think they should get him in a rhythm and then start – and then it's kind of like what you said, Thomas. Then you have to back off, then start hammering it and then start varying up the running game, attack the edges, but also between the centering guards because they love Booker, and I understand that. 
I don't think the play calling has been that bad from Tommy Reese because what the fuck are you going to call? You know what I'm saying? I hate to say this, but there's, I mean, you know, when you look at it, uh, there's, when they're stacking the line, it's tough to run the ball. And then the receivers have done a good job, but I mean, you don't have a ton of game breakers. And then the biggest thing is your quarterback lacks pocket presence. Uh, he holds on to the ball. William just had that great stat. He holds on to the ball too long and he's inaccurate. So I, I, William, I'm going to bring up somebody that you watch work his mastery. And uh, you got a, you got a, uh, a, 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 just a master class in it. Cause you were able to watch practice and have been participate. But hey, I mean, I don't think Homer Smith could make Milrow a great quarterback. Am I wrong or right? I, 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 I do think that the coaching staff has kind of done a, a poor job of trying to make things simpler for Milrow. Um, you know, you can move the pocket, you can roll him out, um, you can you can flood one side of the field um, with with you know, varying route distances and stuff. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the guy that asked the question about why, why, you know, what's wrong with his mechanics, I'm, I'm, I don't know if the guy that asked the question is a golfer, uh, but, but golfers will understand this analogy. Jalen Milrose passing mechanics is like a golfer having a reverse pivot in their golf swing. And and what a reverse pivot is and a golf swing is, is when you make contact with the ball in your swing, you left all your weight on your back foot and you didn't transition your weight. Yes. And you know, I, personally, I don't like his deep ball. Um, there's been numerous times where he's moon bombed it so high, the the DBs has almost had a chance to get back into the play and, and uh, you know, make a play on the ball or tackle the wide receiver. You know, there's right. times to put some arc under it. But there's also times when you've got to throw those passes with a little with a little lower trajectory and, yeah. and a little more mu- mustard on the ball. But that is 100% what's wrong with his intermediate passing mechanics. And, and, you know, he's got such a strong arm, he's able to throw those deep balls off of his back foot and not transition his weight. But to make an accurate, you know, um, middle of the numbers to middle of the face mask, pass that's catchable for the wide receivers you've got to be able to step into those you know eight to 15 yard passes transition your weight from your back foot to your front foot and and drive that ball um, to that receiver because at this level of the game a lot of times you're throwing into tight windows and if the ball floats then you're going to start looking like Blake Barnett um, so that, that to me is, is the best analogy for somebody that may not understand the mechanics of throwing a football, but that's the biggest sin that Milrow has committed since day one is throwing the majority of his passes off of his back foot. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's why I say he's a good, not great, even deep ball thrower. He's just not a great passer and it's going to take a lot for him to, to turn it. And I don't, I'm not sure he ever will be. Uh, but he's the best Alabama has right now, and I'm going to transition to Thomas. Is that it, that's the final question, right? That that's correct, Drew. I do want to give a quick thing. Uh, I was I didn't give the line for the Tennessee Alabama game. It just came out, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it's anywhere from Alabama minus eight to Alabama minus ten, with an over under in the high sixties. So we're talking like a like what thirty eight. 30 kind of game is what Vegas sees. And I think that's predicated on the fact that the Tennessee run defense 
is really, really, really bad. Like it's in it's well, rel- particularly as you do opponent adjustments, which thank God, shout out to the college football nerds, they do that in the stats page, which I love. They're like among the worst in D one, but if that holds, game on Alabama, they can get to that score. But you know, there's going to have to be a lot that goes right for that to get there. But go ahead, Drew. That's all the questions. Yeah, I mean, no question. I, I I'm a little bit surprised the over unders that high. Um, I thought it would be lower. I, I've got 29-20 Alabama because they just haven't scored 30 in a big game yet. And I think Reichert will kick three field goals. They'll probably have some trouble in the red zone again. Hopefully they won't turn it over and, and let Reichert do his thing. But I think, you know, if if he if, if that happens, you know, I, I and, and and to be honest with you, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, uh, you know, if he kicks four to five field goals. I mean, it just it would not surprise me in that instance at all with Riker has, has a big game, uh, so to speak. So uh, I, I could see that. I could see him doing that and uh, and playing that way, maybe going five for five and Alabama scoring a couple touchdowns, but, uh, you know, having to settle. But they just need to get points. I think Alabama, I don't think they'll cover. I think it'll be 29-20 because that wouldn't have them covering. I, I think Alabama is going to be locked in for this game, though, to get some revenge and, uh, I just don't see Hendon Hooker walking through that door. And if Alabama can stop the run and, and, and make Tennessee kick the football, then I think they can get the win in this game. Uh, and, and if they win the uh, turnover battle. And, I, and continue to build off what I thought was a better running game against Arkansas, be able to do that against the balls. Uh, but the key is going to be getting Milrow in a rhythm early and him being able to throw for 250-plus because I think he can make a – uh, against that ball secondary, the balls actually did play the run really well against A and M, but again, but again, I think A and M is a little weak in the trenches, and I'm not sure this Tennessee team's as good as they were, especially along the O line last year. Now, I think their front's pretty good, so Alabama's going to have to have uh, a good game up front. William, what what is your thoughts? Let's see. I'm predicting four sacks. Will Riker kicks a game-winning field goal. Um, 24-21 Alabama, but I will not be shocked at all if Tennessee wins this game. And what about you, Thomas? I think Alabama is going to get up above 30. I do think this is going to be a game where the variance is going to freak some folks out. Tennessee will be able to run the ball some. Their, their rushing offense is too good. I don't see Alabama completely shutting that down. But, you know, you look at the one game Florida they lost, the Tennessee lost, to the Florida Gators. Florida ran for 200 yards on the Tennessee defense, and Graham Mertz only completed 19 passes for 166, not exactly setting the world on fire. And, you know, looking at the Tennessee game, the ten- on the Tennessee side, Florida was able to turn it into a track meet early, and Joe Milton had to try and pass them back into it, and he did not have the ability to do that. He just couldn't get the efficiency high enough, unfortunately. So I think this is going to be a 34-27 kind of game. I think Alabama will get above 30. Um, I think that the Tennessee rush defense is going to let Alabama stay on schedule. And Alabama will do enough to make Tennessee inefficient enough that they're going to be able to – excuse me – they're going to be able to be stopped on a couple of occasions. I do expect Joe Milton to throw the ball to Alabama at least once. I think Jalen Milrow will throw the ball to Tennessee at least once. And suddenly we get into the variance game. So 
I, you know, give me 34-27. That'll be – that's still under the over-under, and Alabama would not cover. I, I'll be honest. Unless the line is under 3-4, to four, I'm not taking Alabama to cover anything the rest of the year because this team has almost inexplicable abilities to shoot their own foot off. And with that variance, that's a bad bet nine times out of ten, Drew. Yeah, it is. It's a bad bet, no doubt about it. Uh, and, I, again, I don't think Alabama will cover, but I think they can get the job done uh, and win 16 out of 17. But we will see. Uh, this is certainly a game I think a lot of these guys have been waiting on. Uh, Joe Milton is mobile, but he's like a straight-line guy, a lot like, uh, you know, uh, Jalen Milrow. So, I think they can get after him with a pass rush. I, I think William said four sacks. I wouldn't be surprised if it's four or five. I hope it's ten. Uh, quite frankly, I hope it's like honk if you sack, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> another bumper sticker honk if you sack Joe Milton. Uh, but I, I hope. I'll oh, no, no, him. Drew, you missed it. My my sack total prediction was how many Alabama's going to give up, not how many they're going to get. <laughs> okay. I, I should have specified that, <laughs> you know, and, and that wouldn't surprise me. Tennessee has a good pass. That, that's been the norm for every game this year so far. Yeah. And I mean, and Tennessee's got a good front, you know, Rodney Garner does a good job. They've, rush the passer well uh, i just hope if alabama again can win the plus minus not turn it over or one or less milro continues to take care of it which he did even yesterday if he can do that and alabama let's just put it like this i think alabama will get more sacks than tennessee and hopefully the tide will uh you know continue the the vols misery since 03 uh in tuscaloosa and and win 16 out of 17 and get the job done uh, you know, and uh, like I said, I've got 29-20. Thomas has 34-27. William has 24-21. to And that, you know, Thomas would have a breakthrough game because he'd have Alabama in the 30s uh, for only the second time this year. And that was, of course, Middle Tennessee in the opener. Uh, so Alabama, you know, and well, let me take that back. And then they did hit 40 against Mississippi State. So, uh, but again, it would be the second time. And again, and, but, you know, they also scored on defense. Uh, uh, against uh, Mississippi State as well. So, but again, I, I think I, I just, I, but I have more respect for Tennessee's football team than Mississippi State's and Middle Tennessee's. So that's why I think Alabama might not hit the 30 barrier, but I think they can win it 29 to 20. Milro can be hopefully more efficient uh, and this running game can get going and then make a few big plays in the passing game and get a W. But it's been a great show. We appreciate all the folks, you know, chiming in wanting questions we appreciate the patreon folks uh we hope that y'all can continue to support us uh thank you thank you to thomas the wizard watch and william redfish barger show was a little longer today but you know we there was a lot to discuss uh with the narrow win over arkansas and of course a lot of people have been waiting for this rematch between alabama and uh the vomits so it's going to be interesting for alabama and tennessee on saturday very storied rivalry long time uh, two uh, big-time rivals who uh, it sounded like with the cat getting out of the bag may not play every year after this year. So this is big for Nick Saban to get another win. And congrats, by the way, to Coach. His 200th win at Alabama yesterday. What a remarkable accomplishment for him in his Hall of Fame career, too. Wanted to give a shout-out to him there. But for William Redfish Barger, Thomas the Wizard Watts, everybody have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next week. Good night, everybody, and roll tide.